Hey, everybody. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Where do you stand on buying and wearing a hat for a nation's sporting team? Because I, I watched the Netherlands play in the World Baseball Classic, and they have a sweet, sweet cap with, like, a crown on it. And I want one, but then I know I'm going to get a couple of, of questions, you know, questioning whether I have any Dutch ancestry, and the answer to that is no. I just like the hat. Is that cool? Can I can I still wear uh, a hat representing honkball? I think you can. Yeah, absolutely. I w- wore a WNBA hat uh, today. I'm not in the WNBA, nor no. do I have anyone. Okay, but yeah, you, people that wear Blue Jays hats are not members of the Blue Jays. I think it's That's different. What I'm saying. No, but I think it's different when you're talking about a pro sports team as opposed to like a nation's I, national team. I get that, and maybe this is because I come from, you know, primarily a basketball background the last little while. Like people wear Team USA jerseys if they're not American. Do they? Yeah, because they're cool jerseys, and they're like every <laughs> every good iteration of. Are there a lot of Raptors fans wearing like Kyle Lowry Team USA jerseys? I've seen some. Really? I've seen more than zero. Okay, um, certainly the Michael Jordan one. USA jersey is a popular jersey. I don't think for jingoistic or nationalistic reasons. I think you're fine. Um, what I have thought as we go through the World Baseball Classic is that we should take it a step further mm. and. The Netherlands players should actually wear crowns instead of a hat with a crown on it. Uh, Great Britain should wear the, like, newsboy Peaky Blinders hats. Yeah. Uh, Canadians should wear, I don't know, a Mountie hat or something like that. I don't know what I was going to say, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Toques. We should wear toques. There you go. Yeah. How about that? There you go. What Um, would the Americans wear, like, cowboy hats? Sure, in some parts of America. <laughs> okay, so you just wear your own, your regional hat. Yeah, yeah. It's like when it's when the All Star Game used to be. You just wear your team jersey. Oh, those uh, were the days. Yeah, it's you wear your regional hat. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, I, I haven't. Uh, yeah, I haven't gone further down uh, further down the list here to to see. Like, I haven't thought about what the Italians would wear yet. What would you wear coming out of Kitchener? What's your regional hat? Cambridge, but yeah, we can. Sorry, 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 no, sorry, I, I'm only sorry. From, I'm only from Kitchener on Tuesday when Jamal Murray's here. <laughs> okay, then, right. then, I'm, <laughs> then I'm from Kitchener. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think there would be tubes. I guess there's a lot of tubes. It, yeah, it would probably be like a knockoff sports cap that has a very obvious mistake on it that mm. I got from a kiosk <laughs> at Cambridge Center Mall. That's a good one. Good yeah. response. Also, the flea market in Cambridge used to have like good. Like passable knockoff merchandise. Mm. I don't know. I haven't been there in a very long time, so I don't know if it's time to go back. If you you do go, yeah, FaceTime me in because I'm interested. I will. Anyway, I think you're okay to wear one. Like, I guess this is uh, people are probably going to feel differently uh, about this um, depending on where they're from and what their ancestry is and stuff like that. I feel like. We as white Canadians, I don't know if you've ever done a 23andMe or Ancestry or no, whatever. I'd like to. Like, mine came back and it's like, okay, you're 20. Like, my mom got them for us because, you know, there is there is a lot of mystery in my family about. And like, oh, that's cool. I've always, like, not to interrupt you here, but, like, I've always, I love my parents, but I always, like, kind of the dream of, of, of being adopted because there would be a whole. More interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the thing is, like, um. My mom uh, didn't know her dad until later in life, and my grandmother was uh, ad- on that side was adopted. So there's like a, a little bit of a, 
uh, mystery grab bag there. And mm. then on my dad's side, they've been in Newfoundland for so many generations that like, yeah, it's probably Irish, but who knows, <laughs> really, because we don't keep good records. And then it comes back the same way most white Canadian or white American people come back. And it's just like a mix of your like for me, it was your 25 percent Spanish. And oh, then yeah, everything the else thing. is just like a mishmash of pick your European country. So I think you could get away with Netherlands. No problem. Uh, people yeah. might assume that you have Dutch ancestry somewhere, but yeah. who cares? Like they, maybe I do. And until I do 23 and me, like, yeah, it's possible that I do can't rule it out a little tougher. I think, Maybe not even tougher because because the the hats are very very cool. Like the Puerto Rican and Dominican Republic hats are awesome. Mm-hmm. I wonder if people maybe raise their eyebrows at you for that a little bit more. Mm. Certainly, uh, the China logo uh, would raise some eyebrows in certain parts of, of the world elsewhere. So um, I don't know. I think you're safe with Netherlands though. Okay. I think you're safe to honk ball. The All other right. thing is we got to get a knockoff Netherlands hat or jersey that has like a goose playing yeah. baseball. We yeah. got to get it. Yeah, it's honk ball. That's their professional league. Honk ball. Hoof the klasse. Yeah, anyway, it's just fun. See, to... you're, you're Dutch enough. I, I, I don't honestly, know what that meant. So <laughs> that's, that's the name of the league. All right. Um, Speaking of, oh, Casey just crushed. Oh, a two-run shot. Canada up 3-2 on the Mariners in the seventh right now. Yeah. It was a high-level prospect uh, playing for Team Canada. I think he's DHing today. Uh, Otto Lopez, Canada's own. Uh, Toronto Blue Jay, potential opening day roster participant, leading off today, playing shortstop as uh, Team Canada's last uh, warm-up game before the World Baseball Classic gets underway for them on Sunday against Great Britain. All right. Enough stalling. We got to talk about refs again, Blake. Listen, am I allowed to use the language that Fred Van Vliet used? Because then I'm down to talk (laughs) about refs again. Okay, let's. I'm sure by now you've heard it, but for the uninitiated, here is Fred Van Vliet after uh, the Raptors' loss in L.A. to the Clippers yesterday. I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought, you know, um, Ben Taylor was f***ing terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, couple other you know out of the three there's one or two that just the game up you know and it's 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 been like that a couple couple games in a row um denver was tough obviously you come out tonight you're competing pretty hard the third quarter i get a bullshit tech changes the whole dynamic of the game changes the whole flow of the game and um you know most of the refs are trying hard i like a lot of the refs are trying hard they're pretty fair they communicate well and then you got the other ones who just want to be and um just kind of the game up nobody's coming to see that they come to see the players and um, I think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the NBA is and was. And um, it's been disappointing this season. Um, you can look up most of my texts this year have been with Ben Taylor officiating. So at a certain point as a player, you feel it's personal. And um, it's never a good place to be. That's not why we lost tonight. We got outplayed. Um, but it definitely makes it tougher to overcome. Okay. Um, I-, I enjoyed a lot of that. Like, I, I, I would say the whole thing. Uh, I also enjoyed the tone. Like, I love when you can swear a lot and, and have some pretty strong language and just act like, you know, you're, you're sitting back in your uh, recliner and, and just taking it easy, just scathing remarks that are going to cost you, what, $50,000. Got to tell you, the hardest part of transitioning to a radio gig has been getting though that amount to which i casually swear mm. chop down yeah. uh i think i would 
I would get worse. At a, Fred Van Bleed is going to get fined more money for this than I could afford, yeah. but I would lose my job if I talk <laughs> like this. So uh, who knows? That's uh, We're going to see how that comes down. Um, for anyone who's curious, uh, Fred is right, first of all, about the if you dig into uh, the numbers. With Ben Taylor officiating, uh, Fred has gotten five of his eight texts Mm -hmm. this year. Not all of them have been given by Ben Taylor, but they've happened in Ben Taylor. Yeah, uh, his one ejection happened in a a game officiated by Ben Taylor. Yes. Uh, So five of his eight texts. And a way that I think is an even better way to highlight this is that he has received four technical fouls in just six games with Ben Taylor. Yeah. Like, that's a lot. That's almost a tech a game. Yeah. Nobody, like, Draymond blushes at that. (laughs) Almost. And Fred Van Vliet is not a guy who has, like, I know the Raptors have a little bit of a reputation for being on the the whinier side when it comes to the officials, but the, like, numbers bear out that he does a good job towing the line and having good relationships with officials. Like, he has eight technical fouls on the year. The season's almost over. He is a high minutes, high usage, and and kind of unofficially the team captain where he is the guy who will be talking to officials in those moments. Um, eight, it, eight technical fouls at this point in the year is is not a lot. And the fact that he you know, only has three outside of Ben Taylor games um, tells you a lot. He does a good job managing his relationships with the officials. Him laying it out like this, as calmly as he did, with as many profanities as he did. Um, also, he clearly thought of the caveats that he needed to say going into that. He said... This isn't why we lost the game. He right. made sure he got that across. Mm-hmm. Um, he absolutely laid out the, I know I'm getting fined for this, so don't even worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how much of that element of it is. There's clearly a personal frustration there, but this is a guy who I'm sure given the choice, like let's say everyone in that locker room was frustrated after the last couple games. He's willing to be the voice and the one who steps up and says that um, we've already seen around the NBA last night and today there are other players of Fred stature having his back with this stuff. Not about the specific, it, it, the specific technical foul there or the specific, um, you know, the specifics of that game or the Denver game, but that what Fred is getting at is a bit of a league wide problem more so this year than in years past. And it's, it's what we talked about. Oh yeah. You don't want a ref show in any sport, right? You don't want an ump show. You don't want those guys to be first and foremost. You don't want to know their names. I don't want to know who you are, Ben no. Taylor. I got, I also like, <laughs> I feel so bad. So there is, um, there's a guy with a podcast and an excellent basketball uh, website and a book called Thinking Basketball, um, and his name is Ben Taylor. Oh. And so, like everyone on NBA Twitter, the last 24 hours is tweeting about Ben Taylor. This poor guy is probably catching strays left mm. and right. He's like one of the smartest basketball minds on NBA Twitter. And then now people are going to be like, That's "Oh, for him. the guy who gave Fred all the texts? No, different guy. Different guy. So why now? Okay, because well, okay. why? Why now is it? bubbled over like that that was not a and fred told us what he said mm-hmm. he it's uh, it's also interesting yeah he told he was telling his team hey we got to play through this stuff and not let it impact us and yes. obviously it impacted him more than the rest of his teammates and right. he talked about that and technical foul being you know kind of a a, a an inflection point in the game which yes. doesn't really track it's with not even the, the worst score. it's not even a top two worst technical foul ben taylor has given fred van fleet this mm-hmm. year like mm-hmm. he got one earlier in the year for passing the ball to himself off the stanchion yeah that's not what you should get it you shouldn't get a technical foul for that you shouldn't even like it wasn't even enough that like no other official wouldn't you would have even given him a delay of game Mm -hmm. um anyway 
this goes back to what we were talking about after the Denver game. It goes back to what I was talking about with Will Lou on the, the Raptor show on Tuesday. It you know, I did a podcast today and talked about this a lot. And the heart of what like agree or disagree with calls at the end of games and coaches' challenges and like Fred's not up there saying reps have to get 100% of calls right. Mm -hmm. Nobody who's played basketball or is in those NBA locker rooms thinks that way or or thinks that's a fair standard to hold refs to. Everyone understands there's going to be a little bit of human error. But making the game about you, taking the focus off of the players and the play, the whole point of referees is to be there to make sure that in the biggest moments, we are getting the correct winner or the fair winner and that the focus can stay on the basketball. When you are doing the exact opposite of that and taking the focus off of a very tight and fun closeout yeah. two games in a row and you're putting well, the focus on the official. Less so yesterday, though, right? Like, I mean, they got the game back down yeah, to two they possessions. Did, they did their it's, thing, sure, okay? Yeah, they're the fake comeback <laughs> kings. Right. They absolutely are. But it doesn't change the fact that instead of talking about that and yeah. Scotty Barnes with another tremendous last couple minutes of the fourth quarter, and hey, why is this a constant theme for the Raptors where they play one unbelievable quarter like they did in the first and then squander it away? Like, by the way, they've held opponents to 17 points or fewer in a quarter 11 times this year. They're six and five in those games. Why are you only coming out of these games yeah. where you have unbelievable defensive quarters at 500? You're they, wasting your bullets in that first quarter. You got to save them for the fourth. They're winless in these games <laughs> where they have these dramatic <laughs> possession splits where they get 20 more shooting uh, possessions than their opponents. Instead of talking about all that, that stuff we have to talk about the officiating and yet another game where an official takes over late we don't have to though we are because fred made us and it no, did but not we, and he, but he also like you said he added the correct caveat that did that was not the deciding factor in that game it was in denver like who would argue with that being when when nobody made a field goal with my, a minute and 20 seconds and left nuggets head coach mike malone <laughs> yeah is basically saying whoo we, so, we got away with one there after so if, the game. If if there's any purpose to this, and I I don't I, I I agree with you. I think it was just Fred, like he's had enough, and there's obviously a personal animus that's going on yeah. here, and that he he wants everybody to be wise to the thing that he's obviously aware of. He knows who Ben Taylor is. He wants the world to know who Ben Taylor is and who he is when he officiates the next Raptors game, if in fact that ever happens, because the NBA is probably on high alert for this. But I will yeah, say... But if you, they, they, there will be another one, because the NBA is not going to want to lend credence to the sure. idea that... They well, have there'll to be ma- some interesting manage, eyeballs on that one. Right, but then are we going to go back and, um, you know, <laughs> there's like... The Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich era Spurs oh, yeah. would just like there would be no refs allowed in those games well, by the end of it. I mean, what was it? Him and Joey Crawford, Joey Crawford yeah. had had the real tête-à-tête. Yeah, like Tim Duncan like laughing on the bench yeah. and getting a and tactical that, foul because <laughs> Joey Crawford thought it was they were making fun of him. Okay, but yeah, back to the Fred thing. Yes. Because I, okay, and I don't he, mean to make him out to be like, oh, he's a martyr and he's doing no. this for the entire league and the entire locker room. But I do think that. This is something that's not unique to Fred Van Vliet and the Raptors. We heard Marcus Smart talk, speak up about it today. We heard Stephen A. Smith say this isn't the first he's heard of it in being around NBA locker rooms and stuff this yeah. year. Um, it happens. No, we just mentioned the Joey Crawford thing. Like, it happens. Like, there's obvious personal animus between officials and players throughout the history of the sport. And it, you'd be silly not to think that it didn't exist in sports outside of the NBA as well. You mentioned that Fred Van Vliet is like, they, they, there's no C's, there's no captains on NBA teams, but he's one of the leaders of this team. He Sometimes leaders, sometimes head coaches will sacrifice themselves for the betterment of the group or to make a point 
to expect something different to transpire next time they're in the same circumstance. I don't know if this accomplishes that necessarily. I guess we'll have to see, but there is a risk also, Blake, when you make a statement like this, when you put officials on blast so explicitly that you get the Brett Lowry thing happening where officials are like, oh, you're going to throw your helmet off my leg? Screw you. You're not getting another close call the rest of the way. But this is why I think it's important to lay out the caveat that uh, that I did off the top that this is not a regular thing for Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, star players and borderline star players whine to referees. It happens like you can't watch an NBA game without seeing it. But Fred is very smart and well-reasoned and balanced, and he goes about these things deliberately and with intention this he did not take that podium last night and in a moment of frustration say all of those things it was very well thought through um he spoke again today at practice and echoed some of the same things although he was careful to not double up his fine from the sounds of it um so I, i think that that is important because i think yeah if it's you know, to pick on someone, we'll say Draymond Green because he leads the league in technical fouls every year and is generally considered the the guy who has the most issue with officials in the NBA. Um, and we can get into some of why that's the case in another conversation. But let's say it, it's him and he does that. Well, maybe the league and the officials take it a little differently. I think with a guy like Fred Van Vliet who hasn't had outbursts like this before who... You're rolling your eyes uh, because I'm like you're you're like hey a reasonable person might think that. Do we think uh, all NBA officials are reasonable people? They Perhaps not. I, not. I think they would protect the the shield for them being the, I don't know the, the striped sweater okay, they don't the wear counter, the, the gray the gray uniforms they wear. The counter to that is that the league watches this stuff too mm-hmm. and the league doesn't want the conversation to be about the offici- about the officiating and if they see one of their smarter more well-spoken players saying something like this in a way like that and then next game out the officials are targeting him do you think the nba wants that to be for this 24-hour news cycle or or 72-hour news cycle to turn into a two-week news cycle leading into the playoffs oh no hell No. no so i i think yeah, you protect the shield if you're a referee, but you're also getting a, a memo from oh, yeah. the from Monty McCutcheon and, yeah. and you know the the rest of the officiating department that hey, let us you know similar to what a coach is supposed to do in, in how they deal with the refs. The league is probably there. Let us find them. Let us handle this. You just go about business as usual because we cannot have it look like officials are then going over the top and further punishing a guy for speaking out. Okay, before we move on here, I do want to talk about this team's DNA and the way they 25% react. Spanish, uh, 75% <laughs> mixed European. Like, like that, ours. Okay. So they're not the whiniest bunch in the NBA middle of the high middle of the pack in technical Boy, fouls I, on the year. Like ten, I, they rank 10th. I would say that Nick nurse is in the, the upper quadrant of most animated Head coaches when it comes to disagreeing with calls in the NBA. And that's not everything, but it, it, it in a lot of these instances, you know, you talk about a, a top-down approach where the head of the snake, those attitudes do impact the players below him. This is a team that is not that good, but also doesn't react all that well when a call goes against them and that was part of what fred van vliet was trying to to keep from happening in that game it. let's play through it and and especially after the way the scotty barnes thing went down the game before um i get what you're saying i certainly understand that and i i follow enough people just generally on nba twitter that yes the raptors do stand out versus the average in terms of that 
whininess and emotiveness or whatever. However, when you look into things like technical foul rates and what, however you want to quantify it, or you just flip around league pass one night and mm. see, Oh my goodness. Everybody Mike, whines. Mike Budenholzer <laughs> is like, imagine Nick nurse, instead of being like tongue in cheek, sarcastic as he yells at the yeah. rest was just like bright purple and yeah. screaming. <laughs> like there's a, there's a big, uh, not a big difference, but there is, there are levels to this. And I think Nick Nurse is actually, and the Raptors, if you believe technical fouls are a good proxy for this kind of thing, they're kind of in the second tier after the, the Milwaukee Golden State-ish mm. teams. Okay. There's a difference between the Raptors and maybe not Golden State with their record. But yeah, those teams are good and the Raptors haven't been all that good. Those teams are also recent champions, yeah. to which the Raptors also are. But those, <laughs> yeah. those teams have maintained a certain level. And I'd imagine there's some level of... Um, I don't mean entitlement in that teams shouldn't get the respect, but like you are emboldened by the fact that you're a very good team. And if yeah. you don't think the whistle's going your way, you're like, excuse us, we're the champs. Right. And you should like, you don't win the title playing, fighting the champ to a draw. No, you got to beat us. So we should get the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there's a little bit of that, but Mike Budenholzer was doing this in mm-hmm. uh, Atlanta as well. And Draymond Green was doing this at Michigan state. Like, mm-hmm. like some teams just have that personality. And to your point, the Raptors, like this is a Raptors thing back to the Dwayne Casey, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry era. Yep. It was. Uh, anyways, uh, maybe we'll circle, circle back around to this conversation, but um, the Toronto Blue Jays played a couple of spring training games today. Uh, Team Canada is in the midst of a World Baseball Classic tune-up game against the Seattle Mariners. Their uh, World Baseball Classic gets underway on Sunday. Also, Jeff Passan today with some early returns on the new rule changes in spring training games. Time of game is down 25 minutes per game. Runs are up uh, 0.4 of a run per game. Stolen base attempts almost up an an entire stolen base attempt per game. BABIP on ground balls up massively, and strikeout rate is also down. Let's talk to our pal, John Morosi. It is Morosi March of uh, MLB Network. How's it going, John? Outstanding, gentlemen. I am uh, actually uh, sitting just outside the the Team USA clubhouse here in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, They are still going through their baseball game here, and and it's it's been a lot of fun. We've got exhibition games happening everywhere, and we're about to do it for real here this weekend. Yeah, and I, I... Really enjoyed the early returns on World Baseball Classic. I will say, though, John, after seeing what baseball looks like with the pitch clock, it, it's it's jarring to go back to the old way. And I just rattled off some of the, <laughs> the early returns that like I, I would say that that in again, in the early return phase of understanding the impact these rule changes have had. It's been even better than I expected. How do you feel about how baseball looks outside of the World Baseball Classic tune up games? I agree. And when you consider the way that uh, if you compare the WBC games and, and the, the games here in the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League, there is a noticeable difference. That, that half-hour difference makes a profound change in how you enjoy the game. And I, for one, love the pace of the, of the new pitch timer. I think it's been a really good innovation. Uh, I, I'm, I will say this, that the WBC is such a unique event and is played by so many different countries around the world that do not use the pitch timer. So in the interest of fairness and fair competition, I, I fully understand why we don't have it in, in the WBC. But I also look at this and say, you know what? We're seeing when we can juxtapose the WBC games with the Grapefruit and Cactus League games, we're seeing, Ben, exactly why, to your point, that this change has been introduced to Major League Baseball. Yeah, you are. And it's fun to, you know, it's fun to compare them and to 
you know, you can see the numbers, you can see the feel of a, of a game or, or understand what, Hey, the Jays played a two hour and two minute game today. Uh, like, that's almost Mark Burley versus Roy Halladay territory. That was an hour 55. We're, we're getting there. Um, but to see them, like, to watch that China-Japan game this morning and then on PVR and then roll over into the Jays game that only went two hours, uh, it's pretty striking. Um, John, you are at the Team USA clubhouse right now. I believe you're going to be talking to Mike Trout in a little bit. Um, what's the feel around that team not spring clock related but in terms of the excitement around the wbc i know that speaking personally this feels like a bigger wbc than uh the last one it it does feel like there are real stakes and that mlb is putting even more behind this as they try to continue growing the game globally with domestic growth a a little bit plateaued here um what is the feeling around the the usa team as kind of the avatar for the entire mlb heading into the wbc well, it's exactly what you just said, Blake. And I, I think that here it's a, it's a very fitting location that I'm speaking to you from because uh, here Team USA played the Angels in Tempe. Mike Trout played against the Angels today. And early this morning, the talk of everybody around here was, how early did you wake up or stay up to watch the Shohei show on the other side of the world? And he was brilliant. He delivered exactly what you would expect. The, the five shutout innings, uh, the two RBI, the, the heroic efforts that he always puts forward. And it's as though you can see, Blake, potentially this collision off in the distance between Trout and Team USA and Otani and Team Japan, perhaps in the Final Four. We'll see a lot of games we play between now and then. But you're right. You do get the sense of, of how prominent the tournament has become. And, and Mike Trout, I think he helped to change that narrative. This is a tournament that... He himself has now said he wishes he would have played in in the past. And, and his decision to, to, to go back and sort of amend what happened in the past and say, you know what, I really want to be all in on this tournament right now, it changed, it changed the expectations. Clayton Kershaw would be here if not for an issue of uh, not being able to insure his contract. So there, there are a lot of players around the world signing on. We've talked before about Freddie Freeman playing for Team Canada, what that means to his family. There are more and more players around the major leagues finding reasons to play than to not play. And, and this is now much more similar in terms of, you know, whether it's a World Cup of Hockey, a Canada Cup, um, uh, Olympic basketball, Olympic hockey, to where this is basically a best-on-best tournament. Yes, there are a few pitchers who aren't here, but that's within the normal realm of, of the churn of a season. So you've got the right guys. This is the most, most prominent collection of stars we've ever seen. And we can say with confidence we're about to watch the best baseball tournament, and we already are watching in terms of the two pools in Asia. We are watching the best baseball tournament ever put together. To what do you attribute that that shift? I was going to say change. Change is too much because there's, there's been stars that have played in this tournament before. But, yeah, Mike Trout missed the last one, um, and he's playing in this one. Uh, there's some, some Canadians not participating, but there's, there's a couple of them that are in the same Clayton Kershaw scenario where insurance is a little bit tough. But to, is it just a, a matter of, you know, the, the more of these things we get, the more people see, the more it catches on? Like, wh- why does it feel like, more established stars are participating? That's a good question, Ben. I I do think that the last tournament was so well-received. It was so much fun. The U.S. winning, I think, helped a a lot of American players want to play. And and when you consider as well the the overall 
Mr. Moreno, good to see you. <laughs> Great to see you. Very, very good. Artie Moreno. Hey, hey, John, good to see you. How are you? Good to see you. Any oh, of these guys want to hop uh, on with it, us? John, yeah, put us Ar- on speaker yes, with Artie everyone. Moreno? Yeah, okay. The, the, All right. Yes, the, yes. I, I wanted to make sure I said hello to the Angels ownership group as they walked past me here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it is, after all, their ballpark. Um, so, uh, But to, to get back to what I was saying, I, I, do, I do think that it, that it was the American players who saw – who saw what was going on last time around. I, I really think on some level, social media and, and the way in which how much fun the last tournament was, was communicated to them, helped more, more people sign on the pandemic and, and the things that we weren't able to do for a year and a half or, or more, uh, I think was part of it as well. When you get a chance like this, you take it. And that's why a lot of the players, the, the strong majority of players in this team are first time WBC participants. And, and they're just, they're having a blast. You could just tell even the last couple of days, just as they're going through the exhibition games and Mike Trout is in the batting cage working with team USA hitting coach, Ken Griffey jr. Mm. And Trout was talking about how, um, how in this, in this case, uh, he was working with Junior on a swing a little bit. Now, when he was a kid, even though he's right-handed, he was emulating Junior's swing. This would be like Wayne Gretzky coaching Sidney Crosby. That's basically what we're talking about. That's happening right at the ballpark where I am right now. So it's it's pretty special, and, and you can just tell uh, how much the guys are really enjoying it. I think that the translation is going to be the most fun version of baseball that you get because the crowds that you guys watch it when you see those games from Japan, it's, it is a very, very special vibe and, and one that I think only really occurs in a tournament like this. Uh, manager of team USA is your, is your cohort over at, at MLB network, Mark DeRosa. Um, and I, you wonder if, if guys get a chance to, to do that, to, to be a manager of a baseball team. And if it sparks something in them, like I'm sure you have keen insight into Mark DeRosa, the guy, like, do you think this is the start of something for him? Could be, and I think that you know he's he has been public and talking in the past, and of course as a former Blue Jay, by the way, we should make sure that we note that um, he he has talked before about wanting to do it, having interest in doing it. He's interviewed before. He interviewed with the Mets and the Marlins in the past, so he's he certainly has that as an ambition. I, I know he he still has a, a young family and, and wants to spend time with them as much as possible. So that, I think that's a calculation for him. But I think this is really giving him a sense of what it is to do a modern managerial job, that it's, that it's far beyond the nine innings that you're in the dugout, that it's a, it's a lot of organizational, a lot of administrative, a lot of media obligations. Of course, he's very familiar and comfortable with that part of the job. Yeah. But it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, and to, to find a way to, you know, over a short burst, it's, it's different than it is over 162. I think he will be a great manager at some point whenever he decides that he wants to do it. It's just probably a question of when and not if. But I think uh, he'll probably know a lot more once this tournament's over about just how soon he wants that time to be. Because, listen, he, I, I, I do believe truly he loves working with us. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I think it would, take, it would probably take a lot and the perfect opportunity uh, to not work with all the great teammates that we have there at the network. Listen, yeah, I, I get that entirely. I would want to work, work with John Morosi as well. Um, Team Canada losing to, <laughs> to the Seattle Mariners right now. And, again, their final tune-up before Sunday against Great Britain. Um, and we understand that there's some pretty good offensive players in there. Tyler O'Neill, Freddie Freeman, of course, in the, in the middle of that lineup. Pitching maybe leaves a little bit to be desired. There's some, some throwback guys, and Philippe Aumont threw a, a scoreless uh, inning yes. for, for Team Canada today. They're in that powerhouse pool with the United States and Mexico, and I saw that that, uh, that group stage game between the United States and Mexico was already sold out, so that'll be uh, rocking 
time uh, in Arizona. Is, is there any hope of, of Canada getting through the, the pool stage for the first time in their tournament history? Yes, there is. I think that the key thing for them is they'd have to find a way to beat either Mexico or the U.S. And certainly, as you know, 17 years ago, they did that. They beat the U.S. and, and they've beaten Mexico before as well. So these are things that can happen. I would point out that as much as we talk about Freddie Freeman and O'Neill, I'm going to give you a name to watch carefully, and that's the native of Quebec City, Edouard Julien. He is an outstanding player, middle-of-the-diamond player with the Minnesota Twins, one of the best prospects in their system. And I think that if I'm going to point to a player who you're going to be talking about for a long time for Baseball Canada, it's Edouard Julien from Quebec City, dynamic infielder with power and speed, Remember that name. If Team Canada pulls off an upset, I believe it's going to be because Julian's in the middle of it. Well, it's uh, it's hard to forget that name, especially once you realize that it's uh, the nice French OU version of Edward, not mm. the W version that uh, I use. Um, yeah, to play himself from an 18th round pick into what he is now with uh, also just if you are one of those baseball geeks that loves good plate approach and good plate discipline, uh, he's just about at the, the top of the list for you. Uh, John, before before we let you go here, I know, I know you went to Harvard. We get it. But you're also a Michigan guy. Michigan State taking on Minnesota this weekend. Do you think there's any chance they pull off the upset? Hockey, we're talking, of course. Tough, tough. tough uh, of course, I know. Tough, tough task for Mar- Adam Nightingale and his Spartans. Uh, I-, I will say this. Uh, I think Michigan State has a much better shot at an upset than you would expect. And so maybe we will get in the end a Michigan-Michigan State Big Ten final. I'm going to pick the upset. I'm going to say Spartans win this weekend, and it's Spartans and Wolverines for the Cup one week from now. Spartans win this weekend. Canada gets out of their pool. John Morosi, I'm putting words in your mouth on the Canada thing, but upsets all around this week. Let's go. <laughs> Got to be bold, my friends. I, I appreciate the conversation. Thanks for, for fitting me in on a busy day. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, John. See ya. Thanks, guys. All the best. Uh, John Morosi, MLB Network. You know, I was actually looking at what tickets cost for that game, the Big Ten tournament game. They're reasonable. 20 bucks. Hmm. They're available. Um, it's like a 14-hour drive to Minnesota. Yeah, I don't think I w- <laughs> I, I have been to Minnesota before, and that yeah. was as part of a larger road trip uh, uh, back when uh, the Twins were playing in the old Triple H Metrodome. Yeah. By the way, I've been to 24 ballparks now. That is like... Wow. An order of magnitude worse than any other ballpark I've been like, and I'm, t- I'm including Tropicana yeah. Field. I'm including Rogers Center with a closed dome on your eighth Josh Towers start that you've seen in person on the season. It was an insult uh, to Hubert H. Humphrey. Yes. Yes. Triple H, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the two best Triple H's uh, of all time. Also, so the, the year that I was there was the last year of the Metrodome. And because of that, and I... I don't understand this for the life of me because they didn't change much of the team's branding or anything like that. Why you would let the stock run out on your team shop gear Mm. because you're changing stadiums. Like you couldn't fill up the back of a pickup truck with whatever's left over. Lame. I was there in August. I'm not even talking the end of September. I'm talking like in the heart of the season and nothing. You want to get a a more no jersey? No chance. Pocket? No, nothing. Wow. Um, I've been to the Astrodome after the Astros were playing. Does that count? Like I went there for, I think it was the, the, the rodeo or something. I was there. Does that count as like being in one of the ballparks? Cause I have, I have a pretty good list. No, I don't know if I'm at, would you say 28, 24, 24. That's pretty good. I don't know if I'm at 24. I've done all the, the Texas ballparks. I've done all the California ones, except for the big a, uh, Fenway, old Yankee, 
obviously Comerica. But yeah, I, I, does that count? Like, do I get the ballparks that are no, not only no longer in circulation, but weren't in circulation when I went to go visit them? So I, among the 24, I count ones like the Triple H Metrodome that no longer exist. Yeah, but that you I saw, saw a baseball a ball game, game there. Yeah, no, yeah. that counts. Like, um, I count old Yankee Stadium, like I said. Yes, yes. And I was I did old Yankee Stadium the last year that it was Me there, too. too and I, I did, do. I did a, a day-night doubleheader. Oh, okay. which you're was one up. You're such a one-upper. I'm not... I, I, I didn't know that you didn't do. I, I thought maybe we were going to be at the same the same game, watching no. the Carl Crawford Tampa Bay Rays no. get absolutely. I watched the Jays over two games. I watched BJ Ryan get get walked off. So that was that was ah, fun. That's a tough one. Um. Anyway, I think you can count it if you want to count it. I only count the ones that I've seen baseball at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like we're not counting like minor league parks and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, you can count it if you want. Jason Giambi ruined our day. It was so great. I think Brad Wilkerson hit a home run. <laughs> made a great catch Expo's in right legend. field. Uh, yeah, David Eckstein might have watched the ground ball go go uh, between his legs or right next to him because he had no range. And then B.J. Ryan, the, the mal- unfairly maligned B.J. Ryan, gave up a, a walk-off home run. Uh, and that's Being a closer is tough. Yeah, it is. All right, uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, I just kind of touched on the the pass and stuff. Uh, we'll probably dig into that mm-hmm. a little bit more. And we did some of our own research today too, off of that. <laughs> yeah, we sure sitting did. here two hours before you got me in the Statcast sheets and everything. We're hitting I, up my old analytics blog boyfriends for their articles and stuff. Yeah, I'm glad. It's a very nerdy day here at Sports at Five Ninety. The fan. I'm glad you included me in the research part of it. It was mostly me saying like, "Hey, what about this? Can yeah. you do that? Like, look that up." That's an important part of any research team. <laughs> how do you think? Like, how do you think? businesses work like some rich I have, guy no, I have no idea that's why i'm sitting here yeah like some rich guy at the top is just like hey, have you guys thought of this and everyone on the team is like yeah we, we've thought of that already <laughs> and then he's like well why don't you uh why don't you try it yeah. and they they try it and he gets the credit for it uh yeah we can do that too that All can right. be our relationship that was my entire dynamic with bunkers of Horfar when okay. i did the morning show well yeah that's what the, the 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 world you live in when you're mr stats is that yeah people come to you for Please. for the stats mr stats is my father <laughs> all right yeah all right uh yeah we'll get into that and uh and more next as the fan drive time continues ben Annis, blake murphy sportsnet 590 the fan unrivaled insight analysis and opinions on all things blue jays blair and barker be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. So the worst thing that can happen to a team in spring training happened to the Yankees. Uh, You don't want to talk about what we were just talking about at the break? (laughs) Me crushing tracheas? Yeah. Listener, guess who Blake Murphy would have liked to have uh, crushed a trachea. Oh, to be clear, he said he listeners guess, not 
that I wanted to crush the trachea of a guest. No. Uh, you, yes. It was, it was a, a bit of a mumbly sentence there. I just want no, to be very clear. It was not a mumbly I sentence. I would not do that I to said, John Morosi. I would not do that to Michael Grange. I said guess. Don't say it was mumbly. I said guess, and you heard guess. I just want to make sure that people know if you are using your trachea to come on our show and talk yeah. sports with us, well, no, I no, no. won't crush it. No, so think of somebody, certain... somebody in the news that uh, Blake Murphy wanted to crush the trachea. By oh, the end of the show, we'll, re- we'll so, reveal. There's so many. <laughs> uh, like That does not narrow it down at all because all the worst people are constantly in the news. Uh, someone who is not the worst but is in the news for bad, bad reasons is, as you were going to say, Carlos Rodon, who is going to start the season on the IL with yeah. every other person who has touched a baseball for the New York Yankees in the last calendar year, it seems. Yeah, he is, uh, he's got a forearm strain, which is never good, right? Forearm strain. And if, if, <laughs> if somebody points out your, or you're thinking of your forearm, you're like, Oh, that's near the wrist. But yeah, in baseball parlance, like the forearm is your elbow, right? Like the forearm runs right up to your elbow. And this is a guy that's previously had Tommy John. His whole career is Wait littered. A Wait a second. Sorry. We're going to get off topic a little bit here. You only consider your forearm the part by your wrist? I think of it more like if I hurt my forearm, I would think about the part closer to my wrist. And I think if you tell a layman that you or someone that doesn't follow baseball, hey, I, I you know what? I cut my, my forearm a little bit. I was, uh, I don't know, hanging Christmas lights. People would not think about your elbow. But in baseball, when you have a forearm strain... It's essentially like an elbow strain. Yeah. It's not, but it's so like real close. For your forearm is like the the elbow to the wrist. Like yes, there are a group of muscles that connect those things. Uh, you got you disagree s- with me? Like you go out in the street and you tell people uh, on Bloor Street out there to identify their forearm. Where are they pointing to? Are they pointing like I, closer here? I maybe they, right in the middle. I would go in the middle, but the, I don't. I don't think that's what we're talking about. But here. that's I'm po- I'm pointing to the exact spot, which is just a little to the elbow side of the middle where your supinator abdominal. Dr. Longus oh, okay. and Extensor He's Brevis are He's all looking at. I the... just know these things. <laughs> yeah, right. off and, but right. yeah, here's the thing with a forearm strain in seriousness, there are multiple muscles and tendons in your forearm and forearm strain is terrifying if you're a pitcher regardless. But there is like a fairly big difference between if it is that supinator muscle that's closer to your elbow where all that torque comes mm-hmm. from. If that's the part that's strained, you're talking about that stress on the UCL, and yeah, you have UCLs near your wrist too, but the the, the Tommy John UCL, yeah. um, that's if it is closer to the elbow side, that's where you get really, really worried. Like, Well, for- and for a guy that's had Tommy John surgery, and and yes, I know he's put together some back-to-back years of, of uh, decent health uh, and really great performance, but that's the, the, the big risk in signing Carlos Rodon, who signed for less than I anticipated, honestly. But the, it was, I wonder why. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's the, the, the entire risk with him was that this has been his entire career, whether it was the shoulder, whether it was a guy who, again, previously had Tommy John and wish him well. And, and, and maybe he'll return, you know, April 20th and he'll be great the rest of the way. But if you're the Yankees, you are not pleased. No. And, and you got a little bit of good news that Nestor Cortez is one more bullpen session away from, from making his spring debut Mm. was the update yesterday. But you're also talking about Frankie Montes, who, you know, the hope is he gets back at some point this year. Yeah, that's and it. Carlos that guy's Rodon, already gone for the year, seemingly. Like, they already have, so Fangraphs does this thing where teams have, don't use the IL yet unless they really need the 40-man spot. So they only have like a projected IL. The Yankees already have six pitchers on it. Mm. Yeah, that's not great. No, it's not It's not what you want. And suddenly like the deepest, what looked like the deepest rotation in 
all of, maybe not all of baseball when you factor in the Dodgers and the Astros, but certainly one of mm. the deepest rotations is now like relying really heavily on Clark Schmidt to start yeah. the year, who was like fairly effective as yeah, a, a long man Schmidt. in the bullpen last year. <laughs> but he was a long man in the bullpen. Like, yeah. like there are only so many Ross Striplings who make the Ross Stripling transition God. in a Ross Stripling way. Like a lot of Clark Schmidt's. Clark Schmidt being, is a creative player. Yeah. A lot of them end up being, he's also like a 27 year old, like pseudo rookie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know he was a, a first round pick like way back in the day, but the shine had worn off of him. It, like, I guess to our conversation about Yusei Kikuchi, like if he's your fifth starter and he's just passable, you could probably survive that, but you're already, you were supposed to have such a deep rotation that you were talking about Domingo Herman, maybe moving to the bullpen and, yeah. and being kind of an elite big eat a bunch of innings guy and he's maybe your number three now yep who knows uh yankees i didn't think were very good last year they managed to win the division and a playoff series against a cleveland team that also wasn't very good and then got their clocks cleaned by a good team the only good team uh the the only the second good team in the american league was out in the wild card round so it was just houston all the way yeah the only good team uh no doubt all right um so we mentioned earlier that uh jeff passon tweeted out a, a bunch of stats from the early returns of these spring training games. And obvi- like the, the time of game thing was going to be an obvious one because that was pretty clear. You put in the pitch clock in minor league baseball games and time of game gets chopped by 25 minutes. That's what's happened in these spring games. The most notable thing for me, though, Blake, was the BABIP on ground balls thing because I went into all these rule changes, super excited about the time of game and the pitch clock thing because that seemed really effective and not just speeding up the game, but... You know, maybe adding a little bit of of offense to the game and and not allowing pitchers to really gear up to throw 110 every single pitch when you have to throw a pitch every 15 seconds without a a runner on base. I really didn't think the shift thing would be all that impactful because I had read stuff that they they did that in the minor leagues too, and the results were not overwhelming. Now, the early returns on these spring games is overwhelming that ground balls are turning into base hits way more often than they have in last year's spring by the tune of this year's batting average on balls in play on the ground is 258 last year it was 235 that is a 23 point improvement on ground balls and i know the the rebuttal might be but it's spring training and it's not only spring training it's like early in spring training you mentioned some of the research we did uh louis paulus who goes by louis for some reason used to work in in the in the phillies organization and writes a a sub stack broke it down and said that actually this is a, these are numbers that you can extrapolate from this point in spring training into the regular season. There's a track record of these being relevant numbers. It's super encouraging. Yeah, it's a weird thing where individually, for an individual pitcher or hitter, your batting average on balls in play takes forever to stabilize. We need to know what your mix of ground balls, line drives, fly balls are, your speed, all this stuff. And then you got to strip out line. League-wide, the sample gets pretty big pretty quick. And spring training BABIPs are always higher than in the regular season. Um, You're not going to see, I don't think, a 320 batting average on balls in play uh, league-wide when the season starts because we've never seen anything close to that. I think 306 is the the all-time high. Um, And I don't think we're going to see, you know, this level of batting average on 
ground balls. And there's some element of, yeah, there are worse fielders and maybe you're not as aggressive with uh, the defensive positioning and things like that. It doesn't matter. Louis went through all of that and basically came away with the conclusion that he thought all of this was overstated and he still is anti-shift, but the numbers are the numbers. And even when like he came into that as a skeptic wanting to come away with the conclusion that this is nothing and it's been overstated and banning shifts is silly. And by the end, he's like, I still kind of think it's silly, but the numbers are what they are and they project forward. And you could break it down even further. Um, Mike Petriello broke it down by righty and lefty. And sh- and there's where I know we, we've got to take a break here momentarily. Maybe this is a, a bigger conversation another time when we're talking about how red hot Kevin Biggio has looked in spring training because we think of dead pull lefties as the guys who are most impacted by this. The impact has been double for right-handed hitter ground balls than it has been for left-handed hitter ground balls. And then, uh, so that's from Mike Petriello, right-handed hitters are hitting 262 on ground balls, which is wild. Um, I went and then looked at pulled ground balls specifically thinking that, you know, guys who use the other use all of the field are probably more naturally going to be able to take advantage of these things and, you know, poke it the other way. Well, even on pulled ground balls, the league is hitting 217 this spring after hitting 180 the last couple springs. So no way you can chop this up where you're not seeing a pretty dramatic impact on a lot of things, but especially how many of those balls and play are dropping in, how many guys were getting on base, and then they're running more too. Yep, uh, baseball's better now. And games are still short. Yep, it's pretty sweet. All right, when we come back, uh, some notable Canadian soccer players testifying in Ottawa today. We'll talk to Sid Sixero next as the fan drive time continues.